the project. Kuwait. Learn. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the project. We are joined by Lulua, the functional nutritionist, and we are going to get into learning a little bit more about the female cycle. So we're going to talk about what's going on inside of you, how to identify some potential problems, get an understanding of your cycle, what may be considered abnormal for you, if you're suffering from a hormone imbalance, and then how to heal some of the problems and frustrations that you might be dealing with. So this is important definitely for the ladies, just to understand what's going on in the space that you live in. <laughs> and it's also great for the guys to get a better understanding of you know, the females in their life. So Lula is going to help us understand. We're both going to help each other. I am going to be silent today. <laughs> I'm leaving <laughs> this one. This is Meg. This is all your wheelhouse today. <laughs> all this and more in today's episode. Meg jumping back in from the States and Lulua jumping back on the show because I was apparently very interested in the PMS <laughs> You topic. were, though. I was. I really <laughs> was. I brought it up and I was like, we still have to do this again. Yeah, you actually said yeah. we have to do this, like be P- talk because about PMS and PCOS. I really don't think it's advertised out there. I don't yeah. think people talk about it in yeah. Kuwait because there's yeah. such a stigma. And even on so many levels, people see it as, you know, a dirty thing or whatever. I completely agree. It's just life. Yeah, I know. I remember. And and that's all over the world. That's even here. And that's why the hormonal is a workshop and a webinar that I do. And that's the reason I came up with that one first is because I struggled for myself with a long time. Like I hated anything that had to do with like periods and females. Like I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to have it. Like if I could skip it, I would try. Like I would almost get to the point where like I didn't have a period because I was just so detached from that. And I just thought it was so awful. And getting to understand more of like what information it actually gives you. And by kind of wrecking my hormones in a lot of ways through dieting and that kind of stuff is where I started to get more in touch with it. And I was actually surprised in Kuwait was the first time I did these workshops. And I did one with a group of guys and girls together. And the men actually loved it and found it very interesting. And things started to make a lot more sense to them, (laughs) you know, about what's going on with female clients and females in their lives. So it's definitely something that shouldn't be looked at as so like taboo to talk about. Yeah. yeah. All over. I remember once I posted something like, I was like, I'm about to get my period in a few days, so I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to be able to eat like any cold foods. And I got so many messages from women saying like, you go girl for posting about it, like speak open. And I was like, I didn't really, is it really that big of a deal? I didn't say anything. Like it's, we bleed. We have periods every month. Supposedly we're supposed to be having periods every month. Right. Yeah. And it's just so strange that well, I mean, as, people want to avoid talking about it. it it's the guy thing yeah. too. I mean, up until my second year of marriage, I didn't want to buy tampons and Kotex when I was in the gym. I, was like, I felt <laughs> yeah. weird. Like they know but it's it, not for you. I, I know, but it's, <laughs> it was such a weird feeling going up there to the register, yeah. you know, as a guy because yeah. you just, oh, period, gross. Oh, that's disgusting. You know, going through high school or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was always the yeah. stigma of, oh, it's gross or whatever. But in reality, like women need to have their periods so we can have children. Exactly. And when I saw the marathon runner a couple of years ago, I think it was in the Boston Marathon where she was running and she had her oh, period. Oh, yeah, blood yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I yeah. was like, you know what? Power to you, girl. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, awesome. So, yeah, I'll just, I'm going to sit back. <laughs> that's the thing, though, too, though, talking about, you know, the purpose of the, the cycle. And it's like, whether you want to have a child or not, like, this is how your body operates. And this is a cycle that, you, that you've been given. So there's so much information in it, not just to like conceive and to, you know, know if you're pregnant or not. Mm. <laughs> there's so much more information that can be given through that cycle. So it's whether you're trying to have a kid or not, if that's a life goal of yours or not, like there's so much information that can be given, given through it. So it's important for everyone to know. Yeah, I agree. So Yay. it's a good thing we're doing the show. No, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's, start by getting into like hormones and exactly what those are. <laughs> okay. Let's do a basic overview. Um, I'll give my version. Yeah. You give your version. Yeah. Okay. You guys don't want my version over here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am okay. I, am, I, am, I, am I not good enough? <laughs> my dad was referring to you. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you are. <laughs> okay. So, so in terms of sex hormones, we have estrogen, we have progesterone, and then we have androgenic or like male hormones. So we have testosterone, androstenediene, and then all of these hormones break down into their constituent metabolites. So you have estrogen, it breaks down into 2-hydroxyestrone, it breaks down to 4-hydroxyestrone, then 16-hydroxyestrone. And then the way that the estrogen breaks down also has an effect on symptoms. So I was actually just explaining this to one of my clients because um, she had symptoms of progesterone deficiency and she did a blood test and her blood test was fine. And I still wasn't super convinced 
So I was like, I think you should do a urine analysis so we can actually look at the metabolites because I think you're not metabolizing your progesterone down. The great calming, like stress relieving pathway, I think you're metabolizing down the other pathway. Same thing right. goes with estrogen. And so, for example, with estrogen metabolites, you have a really good pathway, you have a medium pathway, and then you have a bad pathway. And the bad pathway is a carcinogenic. It causes DNA damage. It's linked to certain hormonal cancers. And then with testosterone, it can go down like five alpha reductase pathway, which is, again, so you could have like normal testosterone levels, but then you look at the metabolism and you could have a lot of the DHT, which is the really like aggressive androgenic form of testosterone, or you could have... Um, the so other- this therefore would increase weight or decrease a woman's weight. I'm just trying to break it down into layman's terms a okay, little okay. bit. Okay, like, okay. If I'm lost, I'm sure like we might have some <laughs> listeners that are okay, gonna, okay. like, I'm just totally lost right now. Wait, I'm you like, know metabolites? What? What do we go? What's okay. going on here? <laughs> um, okay, okay. Well, okay. Let me see. Well, first of all, I love how everything goes back to it. It's like, wait, so hang on a second. Am I going to get fat? Well, at the end of the day, I mean, I, number I, one. I, I got to ask yeah, question. It was mentioned, but he was like, am I going to get fat? <laughs> but no, but there's that water retention question. There there's is. the carbohydrates. Yeah, there is. Those questions about it. And I'm okay, trying okay. to break it down into layman's terms of okay, okay. What, what the normal yeah. listener would probably ask. All right. So all I'm trying to say is we have the mother hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and then we have the breakdown of these hormones. Okay. And then the level of these hormones are important, but then the way they break down is also important. The way they break down can give you symptoms of too much of that hormone or too little of that hormone. And too too much could cause cancer or... To, um, Not that it could cause cancer. It can just cause imbalances yeah. and, and a lot of other symptoms within the body. If you have too much or too little of one, like they what, need a like, certain like like with cancer, okay. though. Yeah. It can be linked well, to cancer, what, what other yeah, symptoms yeah. for the listeners? Like um, okay, water retention. Or, okay. okay, so water retention is one. Heavy bleeding is one. Irritability is one. Insomnia, anxiety, aggression. You could have, so especially as it relates to PCOS, you could have hair growth, like especially for women in places that you don't want to have hair growth. So you can have literally a beard and a mustache. Um, not as much as a male, obviously, but you'd have chin hair, thicker mustache hair. You'd have hair loss the same way that a guy would lose hair. So you would have hair loss around the temples okay. um, if you have too much of the aggressive form of so testosterone. So what are some of the tests a woman could run to find out if they have these imbalances? They can do blood tests, which will only give you the levels of the mother hormones, or they could do urine tests, which give you the metabolites of these hormones. Okay. Sorry. Those are awesome. my questions. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Meg, what is your interpretation of hormones? Exactly that. <laughs> Estrogen, <laughs> progesterone, and testosterone are the ones. Yeah, it's just that we need a certain balance of them. And when there's too much of one or too little of another, it can throw off the whole function of your system. Yeah. And that's simply put, that's just what it is. We create these hormones to, to keep our body in this balance. And we need that certain level of each. And when they play well together, they're in balance. And when one is too high or one is too low, or both are too high or both are too low, then that's where problems and things can occur. Exactly. So other things that can, you know, affect like we have estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, like these sex hormones, but like they're also playing along with other hormones, which you kind of already mentioned relate to things like your mood. So like your serotonin, you know, your stress, so cortisol, all those things are going to start to play together. So that's why not just like paying attention to your cycle matters. Like there's things, you know, with what you eat and how you move and then your emotional stress and chemical stress and environmental stress mm-hmm. and all these things that are going to play a part in how your estrogen, progesterone and testosterone are all going to, to play together. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's my interpretation of hormones. <laughs> Any, anyone want to know what the guy's interpretation is? Do you have one? <laughs> yeah, I just Chocolate, like, to, I, I like testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ex- that's exactly what it is. It's like when my, when my wife has her period, it's okay, I back off, get mm. her hot water bottle, <laughs> oh you God. know, like I know the drill. <laughs> this is so entertaining. <laughs> I know the drill. And I, but here's the thing. I've been telling my wife for months now because she has, sometimes she has severe cramping mm-hmm. to the point where she can't really even move. Mm-hmm. And before I'd be like, oh, you're just a baby. You know, I, I never really, I wasn't educated on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I started educating myself and reading more. And I've been telling her for months, I'm like, you got to go and, you know, get your hormones tested. There's something off here. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, there's Mm -hmm. something off because it shouldn't be that painful. It shouldn't be as heavy as she describes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's really good that you guys are talking about the hormone thing because I don't think a lot of women know. I think they just think it's normal. Yeah. 
when yeah. an eight day or a nine day period isn't normal, right? I don't think so. It could be normal for certain people, but I don't think so. I think heavy bleeding is an indication of hormonal imbalance. Sometimes it's too much estrogen. Sometimes it's too much at the wrong time. Because I, th- I remember I even said this in our, in our last podcast. So women, women's hormones fluctuate on a 28 day cycle. Men's hormones fluctuate six times a day. So, um, for so we're a lot moodier. No, 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 no. No, no. It just means you're the same day to day. We're different, like week by week. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah. So there's. So I'm just gonna take this back to testing because it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what the hormonal issue is because, especially if someone who has prolonged symptoms or like they don't ovulate or they don't get their period, it's also really difficult to find out what the problem is just by looking at a one-time number or a one-time snapshot. A snapshot. You can do something called cycle mapping where you look at the hormone levels all throughout the 28 days. And then it's exactly like Mike said. It doesn't just tell you what the hormones are, point blank. It tells you the relationship to each other. When your peak estrogen is, when your peak progesterone is, like estrogen is supposed to peak at a certain time, progesterone is supposed to peak at a certain time. So you can see that it can get really complicated. Yeah, no, it's right. Um, Hannah lifts the most when she is ovulating. Interesting. I know that. That's when she is at her strongest. Yeah, that's because your testosterone is the highest at that time in your cycle. That was my no, part. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was my part right there. Yeah. So a couple of myths, I guess, kind of on that, like, Let's talk about this first myth where it's like periods are painful, mysterious, and unpredictable. Like, why is that not true? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I don't think we should say it's not true because it is very true for a lot of women. They are right. painful, they are mysterious, and they're unpredictable. If they are painful, um, it could be a result of a few things. So you could have magnesium deficiency, you could have vitamin B6 deficiency, and then the causes for that are, um, you know, we have like a wide range of causes. It could be that there's a disruption in something called prostaglandins, which are things that act like hormones. But if you have too much of them, they can actually increase headaches, increase cramping, increase backaches, increase overall pain. You could have people who follow like a very inflammatory poor diet. So if you have a poor diet, you have a lot of inflammation. Inflammation, I wouldn't say promotes pain, but it makes it more likely that you have a more painful period compared to somebody else. Um, they can't, I don't think they're mysterious. I mean, if you take the time to understand them, then they're not mysterious. And hopefully this will like shed some light on some things. Um, but they also can be unpredictable. So if you have someone with hormonal imbalances, like, um, a bad diet, you know, one week it can, I have clients who have like 24 day cycles one month and the next month is a 30 day cycle. The month after that is a 34 day cycle. And then it goes back to 26 day cycles. So I think they certainly can be, but they don't have to be. If you understand how to optimize your health and optimize your hormones, then you should be able to have a regular cycle. What about that statement could be a myth? I think absolutely like they are mysterious, unpredictable and painful because majority of people are just not in tune with like recognizing the cycle and how it works or, you know, like we're given yeah. very limited information. I think even I go back to like my sex education in high school and it was awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there Completely. was nothing that really taught you about this. And then, you know, my mom was pretty open, but I just like, again, it's just kind of that taboo thing of like, I was also a swimmer, like in sports. So it's like, you just didn't want to deal with it. You didn't yeah, want to have it. Yeah, like yeah. it kind of ruined your whole yeah, that's <laughs> practice so interesting. And, week and everything. So it's like, I just had a very negative relationship with it. And I feel like a lot of women do, they don't pay attention enough to where it's like, it is unpredictable and it becomes this nuisance. And then like, they feel like crap because it is painful. That just becomes the norm. But I think it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that those are all signs that you're dealing with some kind of an imbalance. If you feel that they're mysterious and unpredictable and painful, then that's something to pay attention to. That's mm-hmm. not the norm. Exactly. And there's a way to, to improve that. Yeah. Totally agreed. So how can females <laughs> alleviate some of the pain and some of the abnormalities through their nutrition? Is that a possibility? Very good can you like see, yeah, see very good the question. guy came up yeah. with a good question here? Yes. <laughs> okay. So we can look at it in several ways. Um, first of all, you want to follow an anti-inflammatory diet. You want to remove things that can possibly cause inflammation. Number one being food intolerances. Not necessarily food intolerances, but I do talk about gluten and dairy and avoiding things that could trigger like a wide range of symptoms because a lot of people like don't know. Again, I've said this before. If you have any form of leaky gut or if you have a food intolerance, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a digestive symptom. It could also mean you have 
headaches. You have, you know, worse cramps than somebody else. It could mean that you have regular migraines and you don't know where they come from. And the thing with issues like PMS is that you want to actually isolate these symptoms from generally occurring symptoms. Does that make sense? Like, okay, like let's, let's talk about the symptoms of PMS. So you have anxiety, irritability, anger. Why don't you contribute some? No, you <laughs> You're so well versed. I, I can give you the list. <laughs> yeah. You get anxiety, anger, irritability, lower back pain, uh, yeah. lower abdomen pain, yeah. achy feet sometimes. Sometimes. Headaches. Yeah. Not wanting to deal with me. Antisocial. <laughs> like yeah, my, yeah, like yeah. It's like, just get away from me right now. Yeah. So a lot of these symptoms are emotional. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, yeah. the emotional, emotional. aspect. Yeah. And then there is the, yeah, I was going to be like, if I said psychological, <laughs> hey, it's going to kill me. <laughs> like, there's no. no getting around this. <laughs> it can be psychological. Psychological just means like they're related to how you feel and how you interpret things. Yeah, yeah. But right? I mean, with, yeah. with hey, I know she goes through pain. Like yeah, that, yeah. That before yeah. I used to think it was all in her head. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That's not what I was referring to. Okay. All right. Let's not dig me in a hole. Um, but here's a question going back to some of the foods that yeah. you were talking about. You mentioned yeah. gluten. You mentioned dairy. Mm-hmm. What about the nightshades? The It depends I on... Because I don't really have a background on nightshade vegetables, but yeah. I read that today in my research about PMSing. Yeah. So... <laughs> I think it depends on whether or not you have an intolerance to them. Okay. Um, and the best way to find out if you have an intolerance to something is to remove it for three weeks, three to six weeks, and then reintroduce it. And then notice what kind of symptoms you have. Meg, do you have any idea about nightshades? I double stamp what you just said. <laughs> I think it's different for everybody. I yeah. think that it's, there's no, that's the thing with like nutrition. I, I think you kind of align in the same way of that it, there's not going to be a one size fits all for everybody. Mm-hmm. That it's going to take that eliminating it to see how your body responds and reintroducing it. And the best way to do that is not by eliminating, you know, several things at once and then reintroducing them all. Yeah. Once. You have to be smart about how you, how you play with that. But that's yeah, the only yeah. way you're going to learn is to kind of experiment. It's a trial and error process. Yeah. And I think if you don't notice anything after two or three weeks without it, then, you know, you can probably carry on and you're fine with it. You know, when you reintroduce it, pay attention and it could be, you know, pay attention to the psychological things, you know, the yeah. mood, you know, and then the physical things like fatigue and energy and recovery and, mm-hmm. you know, clarity and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But going back to what you were saying about the symptoms, right? Of the PMS symptoms being more emotional yeah. related. Yeah. yeah. The, the point that I wanted to make with that is these are feelings that we experience on a regular basis anyway. You could feel anxious, right. irritable, annoyed, pissed off for maybe a week at a time. So right. it is important to isolate them and understand that, okay, this is actually a PMS symptom versus I'm just really like annoyed at my husband for something that he actually did. Does that make sense? And my wife's annoyed at me all the time, so. <laughs> Wait, maybe that was a really bad example. <laughs> I think a lot of men would um, would relate to what you just said. But I think that's the thing too that goes back to like when women have that feeling of anxiety or irritability or they're upset about something, I think it's very quick for men, the first thing to go be like, oh, she's, she must she's be PMSing. Yeah. Or yeah, she must oh my be, God. Right, you know, and it's yeah. like, been on the no, like you said, like, these are emotions that we experience on a daily basis. We're a little bit more sensitive to some of them at a certain time. And that's that PMS time. But mm-hmm. just because we get irritable or anxious or tired <laughs> at other times doesn't mean that it is exactly. PMS. So it's, yeah. it's important for women to understand those differences in their cycle of when they're feeling those things on a day yeah. basis or hormonal basis. And it's good for men to understand that as well. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if it's something that's occurring all the time, but then I also know a lot of women who do this. And I have been guilty of this myself, which is I happen to be annoyed at a time where it's maybe a week before my period and I'll be like, I'm just PMSing, but I'm not actually PMSing. I just don't want to take the responsibility of saying, hey, I'm actually really upset at this thing that happened. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Yep. Well, not really, but yeah, <laughs> I guess, I, I, guess I, can, I can relate from the other end. I can empathize. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wrapping it back up to food, um, my whole point was if you're aware that you actually do have PMS and then PMS basically means that when you get your period, you get complete or most resolution of these emotions. So you get your period within a few days, you're no longer annoyed, irritable, depressed, antisocial or any of these things. Because if it continues on throughout your period, then it's probably not PMS. Okay. It, for women who do experience PMS, especially as it relates to the emotional aspect of things, so it turns out that the large majority or a majority of women with PMS, they're actually more sensitive to the blood sugar drops that occur as a result of low progesterone as well before their cycle. Meg, I'm sure you're aware, but for people who have the symptoms of PMS, like irritability, weakness, dizziness, are, can also be similar to the symptoms of low blood sugar, which is irritability, 
weakness, dizziness, basically when you're hangry, right? right. Um, and then the week before your period, you actually have reduced progesterone and which can mimic the same feelings of hangriness. And when you have a reduction in progesterone, you actually become more sensitive to blood sugar drops, which means if you're okay three weeks of the month eating three main meals a day, the week before your period, you, you're actually more sensitive to the three to four hours where you're not eating anything between meals, which means right. if three weeks out of the month, you are very good at you know balancing your blood sugar out when you're not eating anything, the week before your period, uh, which is like the week that you're PMSing, the premenstrual period, you can get hangrier. Like you can get low blood sugar. You can um, experience those symptoms as well. So in terms of nutritional changes, um, the one of the main things you want to do initially is to make sure you're eating smaller, more frequent meals about the week before your period to prevent those blood sugar drops. Okay. Does that make sense? So um, then your blood yeah. sugar is a bit more stable. So so here's another quote. Here's, well, here's a statement, actually. So the whole chocolate thing is actually not a myth. I'll right? tell you why it's not a myth. Because that, 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 everyone <laughs> says, oh, she must be on her period. They, like she's eating a ton of <laughs> yeah. chocolate. But now it makes sense. Yeah, okay. And okay, <laughs> yeah. I'll make it make even more sense. So This is an awesome conversation, by the way. <laughs> Okay, let me see if I can explain this simply. So, uh, well, blood, okay. sugar, blood sugar goes low. Aside from that. Okay. Yeah, aside from that. But you are right, though. Okay, I'm going to answer you with two statements. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, blood sugar drops. When you have low blood sugar, you crave like a really quick pick me up, right? So, your body naturally makes you crave any kind of easy sugar because it wants an increase in blood sugar. Yep. So, you're right about that. Other than that, you can get a drop in serotonin, which is your feel good yes. hormone. And when you get a drop in serotonin, one of the reasons you crave carbohydrates or sugars is because when you eat carbohydrates, it increases the uptake of something called tryptophan into the brain. And tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin. So you eat carbs to create more serotonin in your brain. It's like an auto-regulated system that your body has come up with. That's really cool. Bam. Yeah. (laughs) That was exactly right. That's exactly what we talked about. And the carb sensitivity of the first half of the cycle to the second half. And that's why you, so women, you know, they get really down on themselves of like craving carbs at that time. And it's, you know, just reminding them that there's a chemical response and reason why, yeah, you, that serotonin drops and the way that your body craves a boosting of that is with those carbs. And then, yeah. Which which makes sense. I mean, Uh I told you in a message a couple of weeks ago that I was experimenting before my comp. Yeah. So I went yes, yes, really yes. low on carbs for about a week mm. because I had experienced previously that when I go low on carbs and I go back and do a heavy lift, you know, I, I lift a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. And sure mm-hmm. enough, when I did that, I saw a jump in my lifts Yeah, because I got that. It was like a jolt of energy with the carbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, I jumped 30 pounds. That's insane. I mean, 30 pounds is a lot. I Trust me. Yeah. I was shocked too. Hey, I was there. I got it on video. All right. I have my numbers from before. Maybe it was because I was tired when I had lifted the previous month and tried to PR. But I mean, it was a 30 pound. I had another 30 pound jump last That's week. crazy. Like so, uh, Fridays are my lifting day, apparently. So what exactly? <laughs> Maybe. Did you, is it because you slept really well the night before? No, it's no. just I think because I car. I hate saying carb loaded. Yeah. But yeah I yeah. had fo- foods that were high in carbohydrates, so you're high fats. Yeah, I mean, in a, in, a, in an essence, I had gone low carb most of the week because I don't move as much, so I don't. I feel my body doesn't need as many carbohydrates. Yeah. Whereas when I go into Thursday, I know during the weekend I'm going to move a lot and I'm going to have a hard workout on Friday. So Thursday mm-hmm. night, I typically have you know Lebanese food. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'll have the yeah. breads, I'll have all that stuff, and then the next day I have a hell of a workout. So Lebanese food the day before you train? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's a secret. But that's what's important also for women to understand that depending on where you're at in that cycle too, because there can be times where you're in the gym or doing something physical, whatever your, your sport is, where you feel really high energy and really good doing it. And you go back to do that thing again and you feel extremely tired and you're like, what the hell? Like I was able to lift this last time or I was able to do this time. You know, the last time I tried this, like, why am I so weak today? And they kind of get down themselves and they feel like now they're regressing and they're slipping back and it could just be that time in the cycle where like your body temperature is a little bit higher and you're going to fatigue a little bit faster. It could be those times where you're having those insulin drops and, and all that kind of stuff can, can play with that. So that's another reason just why tracking is so important that it 
there may be a time where you're not actually getting weaker. You haven't regressed. It can be the chemical responses that are going on within you. And that can even be the time of the day for guys lifting and stuff too. If you PR'd, you know, in the morning when testosterone is a little bit higher and you go to try again, you know, in the evening at some time, mm-hmm. like that makes a difference too. So Exactly. Okay. So in a really simple way, what is the best time of a woman's cycle to train for strength versus like metabolic training? I every day. <laughs> I'm a big fan of strength training. <laughs> I think every day it's important to move. I think the first half of the cycle. So, and this is something else that I think confuses women too. Like the day one of your cycle is the first day of your period. I think some people think that your period is like the end of a cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like day one is is the start of your cycle. So if we're going with a 28-day cycle, let's say day one until ovulation, let's say day 14, you know, halfway through those first two weeks, that's when your your body temperature is lower. You're more primed for t- intensity. And I think that's the time where if you want to do, you know, all your cardio kind of stuff, go for it. If you want to push the intensity, you want to do the HIIT training, that kind of stuff, go for it. And that time you're, you're primed for it. When you ovulate, that testosterone is the highest. So that's probably prime for... Uh, PR, you know, strength training mm-hmm. to, to hit a big lift. And then when you get into that second half of the cycle, you know, 15 to, to 28, if we're going with the 28 day cycle, that's when your body wants to set in that parasympathetic nervous system a little bit more, wants to channel that. And so you're going to be better off doing things that are more like conversational pace. So you can still do your strength training. Um, you can still do your cardio, but keep it more of a conversational pace and not so, you know, gasping for air. <laughs> type yeah. of a, type of aerobic. You know, so yoga, going for walks, biking, swimming, you know, just something where you're, you're able to breathe and communicate during it. I think that's a better time. And that's when you're a little bit more optimal for, for fat burning in that time, which is actually the lower intensity time, which is kind of shocking. <laughs> so what if someone's on a training program and, you know, it's a periodized program where they're supposed to do this kind of workout for four weeks and this kind of workout entails weightlifting and has nothing to do with yoga and has nothing to do with like low intensity stuff. Should they still keep in mind that they're, you know, because then if we're talking about it from that perspective, then we're kind of like separating men and women into, you know, you train intensely two weeks out of every month, whereas you train anything you want, whenever you want. And I, I would Mm -hmm. personally say I don't implement that into my training because, yeah, because of consistency. I don't think that you have to necessarily say that like two weeks out a month, you can't lift or you can't do anything intense or you can't, yeah. I think there's ways that you can hydrate and there's foods that you can do to yeah. support to, you know, help yeah, you yeah, in those agreed. times to give yeah. you a little bit more energy mm-hmm. and, and be able to, you know, push through and do it. Like if you're training for, you know, I think like in training as a collegiate athlete, like there's no way that like, exactly. you know, sorry, coach, these two weeks, I can't, you yeah, know, yeah, train. Exactly. like, no, but I wish I would have known a lot of these things about my cycle to be able to eat better, sleep better, you know, hydrate you know, smarter Mm -hmm. and things going into some of those training and understanding that. I think it's just more for the mental aspect, maybe of just understanding like why you may feel a little slower that week, why you may feel a little bit weaker, something along those lines. I think every day is absolutely a day to move. And I think whatever you're training for, you need to get on that training method. But if you're someone who works with like a deload week, I say match that deload week up with your cycle. True. You yeah. Know? I so think these, are, idea. these are things to communicate with your trainer, you know, and I think that's where male trainers need to be open Thank to you, talk Meg. about. Thank you. I've been, I I've been help. hounding Haya for months. Yeah. Tell your yeah. trainer that you're on your period. Your iron levels are low. You're losing blood. Like there's a lot going on and she never listens to me. Sorry. I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off, but thank you, Meg. No, no, no. Thank I think you. she'll listen to you. She's not going to listen to me. That information is <laughs> only going to be valuable though. If the trainer understands, right. That this, the last to this last half of the cycle, yeah. what's going on with your carb sensitivity, with your body temperature, with your hormone levels. Like they need to understand how that plays with your nervous system, right? So they're not taxing your central nervous system when your body wants to be in kind of that rest and digest mode that they're not, you know, completely blowing out, you know, your body and those types. Those are things. If you're going for general health and wellness, there's no reason that a trainer can't work with that, right? If you're training for a competition or something else, like that's a kind of a different situation yeah. where trainers need to be on a different page. But if you're someone who's just going for general health and wellness, there's no reason that your training can't, you know, back off at a time maybe when you need it. And that's just stuff that you have to be good at picking up with the signals in yourself and understanding. And you have to be able to communicate with your trainer and your trainer has to be open to receiving that information and <laughs> using it, right? So here's a curveball for both of you guys, since I'm not a female. Yeah. What about when you are on your cycle? and you're at the peak of your lowest point, wouldn't it be good sometimes to step out of your comfort zone and go a little harder to kind of 
you know, amp you up just in case you're competing at a level and you so happen to have your period during that competition. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because you can't, you can't always control that. Like I've been with my wife before and she was expecting her period in two weeks and she had mm-hmm. done it early. Uh-huh. So like, say you, you know, you periodize and like, you're like, shit, I'm going to have my period in five weeks on the, the weekend of a competition. So would it be beneficial for a female to actually train within that, you know, the weakest point? Of, I understand what you're saying. Does that make any sense? It, it makes a lot of sense. And I I like that you asked it because... That's the coach in me. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, that's, you yeah. know, that, that's, that's something I think coaches need to know. And, you know, female athletes, you know, we have a lot of them. So. Yeah, I, I pr- personally, like based on my opinion, I don't think it works that way. It's not like training a week, the weakest link in the chain. Because when you do have, when you are in your period, it's not really something that you can train to be better at. I think it's just, you know what I mean? But like you, you can, can't. You can train to get through yeah. it, right? You can, you can mentally train to get through. There's that mental part of it where if someone thinks I'm weak on my period, right? And they always train that way and they train in the deload, so to speak. I'm just playing devil's advocate mm-hmm. here to the conversation, right. Meg. I think it's just getting people yeah. to understand that at that time in the cycle, like you're not at your weakest when you're on your period necessarily, like you're actually primed for more intensity. Like first couple of days are a little bit of a a struggle. Sometimes when we feel a little crappy and whatever, and you take that time to rest if you need to, but like getting into like that third day and beyond, like you're actually starting to be primed for, for more of that intensity. And it's, and it's okay. And you're as strong as I think it's just changing the mindset. Like if your period is stopping you from doing like any activities of daily living, and if it's something that, you know, does kind of paralyze you and makes you think I can't do anything during this time, then that's just, there's a problem. There's a problem with that for sure. So I think exactly like what, you know, Lua was saying, it's like, you can't train the weakest part of link, but I think mentally what you're saying, Maddie, that there is a a good mindset change of like, yes, train during your period. It's okay to go to the gym during your period and still move because you're okay. (laughs) You know, if you're not okay, if you're feeling really, really painful and like you can't, I mean, then that's a clear sign from your body that there's something out of balance and something needs to be, be dealt with. And it's not just taking, you know, medication or going and getting a shot or, you know, just yeah. sleeping all day. You know, that's will, not the answer. Yeah, I, I do remember that one of the PTs that came to Kuwait a few years ago was a Westerner. And when he came to Kuwait, he was shocked. Like I remember him telling me, he was like, something that happens here that never happens back home is that women cancel because they have their period. He's like, I've never seen yeah. it before. It's like, I'll just get a message like, hey, I can't make it because I, you know, it's that time of the month or whatever. And I agree with what she's saying in the sense that I think it's important to promote the idea that we're not that fragile. Like it is okay to train when you're bleeding. If you're the kind of person where you're in pain and you don't want to train, that's completely your choice. But it's not, you know, some people take it as like a seven day hiatus from training. It's It's true. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's, it's, it's really not that bad unless again, you have an issue or you have debilitating like periods. endometriosis. Endometriosis? Yes, yeah. That is the one. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I swear to God, I did some research That's really today. good. I'm like, impressed. I'm, 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 I'm very impressed. I, I totally forgot the name. I actually had to message Hey and be like, what is that thing? <laughs> you know, like... Is that but, what you were just doing? Yes, that's exactly what I was just doing. I'm sorry. Because it's, it's, awesome. it's, it's still a new thing for me. And even over the past few years as a husband, yeah. like it's so hard to kind of comprehend, you know, like when she says, oh, you know, I have really bad cramps. Can you take care of DJ? Can you, you know, do mm-hmm. this stuff? And now I've gotten to the point where I know, like I know the cycles and mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, honey, you sleep in today. Don't worry about it. Like you, I got this, you know, so that's why I'm asking these questions because there are females that have endro. Yes. <laughs> and it's extremely painful. Yes. Yeah. And bleeding can be heavy, yeah. right? And it basically, so basically it also means that, yeah, so what happens with endometriosis, okay, so what happens with endometriosis is that the endometrial tissue migrates to a different part of your body. So every month you bleed, you're not actually just bleeding from your uterus. You're bleeding in any other place that tissue has migrated. So that can be your intestines. It can be outside of your uterus. So it's extremely painful because it's not the only place that you're bleeding from. And it scars every time. Okay. And it causes unexplained weight gain and it puts you at risk of cancer. Yep. And it's difficult, and it has, it's difficult to conceive. Yes. If you have it. Yeah. Yes. Although while you're pregnant is like, 
how do I say this? While women are pregnant, because it's related to estrogen and they're not producing hormones the same way that they're producing them when they are actually supposed to be ovulating um, or on a regular cycle. While they're pregnant is the times when they don't, like it doesn't migrate, it doesn't exacerbate, it doesn't, you know, they don't experience the negative side effects of it. And it has to do with estrogen metabolism, that one. So tying it back into one of the things that I said initially, women who have poor estrogen metabolism will be at a higher risk for endometriosis. Okay, going back to it, some people do have endometriosis and you're saying they do experience more pain than the average person. I will also say, I think what you're pointing to is that men have to be more compassionate towards women during that time. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, because that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, because you're like, oh, like, you know, when you were first married, I was like, oh, like you're just being a baby. And now you're like, okay, like you do this, I'll do this, I'll take care of this. And just actually validating that PMS is a thing and period pain is a thing. Um which I, I appreciate you doing. <laughs> I did a lot of research. <laughs> I, I really did. I, w- I wanted to try and stay in tune into this. And just I like, this. you know, like it's good for me as a yeah. man, you know, just educating myself and mm-hmm. hearing you guys talk about this. Mm-hmm. I think it's something all men really need to start taking up on and stop thinking, oh, gross. You know, like, dude, come on, right. man. It's a part yeah. of life. You yeah. know, so. Can we talk a little bit more about dietary changes that women can make to reduce PMS? Just because I think that will have like the biggest bang yeah. for the buck. Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, so we so we spoke about eating regular meals, especially the one to two weeks before your period, depending on how long you experience it for. You want to limit caffeine intake because caffeine intake has been shown to actually increase prostaglandins, which can increase pain. So it can increase cramps, it can increase headaches, it can increase backaches. If a female wanted to opt, you know, they say they have a green tea every night. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm using my mm-hmm. wife as an example because yeah. this is all I really know. See, she has a green tea every night. Green tea has caffeine in it. Not as much as coffee, but it does have... Is green tea okay? Green tea. Or should they opt for like a chamomile or something along those lines? I think green tea is perfectly fine, especially because green tea has caffeine, but it also has something called theanine and theanine is an antidote for caffeine. So you can actually carry with like theanine pills with you. I recommend theanine quite often to my clients because it's a sedative. It's an amino acid and it has a sedative effect and it's excellent. Like if you, if you accidentally drink too much coffee and you can't go to sleep, you can just pop a few theanine pills. I took, I took theanine it calms and knocked you me down. out, dude. Did it really? <laughs> knocked my ass no out. No way. I took it because I wanted to balance out the caffeine in yeah. my pre-workout. This yeah. was like me testing out before a baseball game. Yeah, yeah. So I took, I took my pre-workout, popped, I think it was 200 or 300 milligrams of theanine, yeah. right? And I'm just on the field. My God, my God, I'm so drowsy. I took a pre-workout. What's going on? It had like the worst effect on me. Oh my God. And I never went near it again. I was like, all right, I'm not trying this again. I mean, 200, 300 isn't even that much. It just, but it's, it's everyone's body's different. It is, it is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. The recommended dose of it. The recommended dose. So, um, yeah, I've said this before. I don't like giving specific doses. But I yeah, will say that it's, yeah, but I will say it's difficult to I just remember something really funny. Um, okay. It's difficult to overdose on theanine. Um, you can go up to like 1200 milligrams in one go and um, not have an issue. So one time I had this older client, bless her. She was like 70 years old. She had high blood pressure and, you know, based on her symptoms, I had recommended <laughs> these two pills. One of them was theanine. The other was another cortisol reducing supplement. And I said, listen, like, she was like, oh, are there there any side effects? And I was like, listen, you can't really overdose on theanine, so you can take as much as you want to. I said, you can take up until this much. Like, it's really difficult to overdose on it. And the other supplement was a pill that had B vitamins in it because it helps, like, your adrenals. It has, like, replenish the nutrients that your adrenals need to function. And... The next time I saw her, I was like, oh, how's it working? She was like, great. Like every time oh, my bring blood pressure the, uh, goes mic up. a little closer. Yeah, I was like, how's it going? It's like, great. Every time I get stressed out, I just pop a bunch of these pills because you said I can't overdose on them. <laughs> and it was oh, the other no. one. It was the one with like the high B vitamins. And it took me two to three sessions to convince her you can overdose on B oh vitamins. My like she just wasn't taking my word for it. <laughs> she was just like, I feel great. She's like, I feel great. I was like, okay, I mean, as long as your blood pressure went down. <laughs> <laughs> but well, speaking of your vitamins yeah um so, but sorry just to, yeah. just to rewind real mm-hmm. quick in terms of the dosing and like you know everyone's body reacts differently yeah. with different things I like agree. acetylocarnitide yeah, you know, yeah it's a stimulant mm-hmm. i can pop like you know a, a two thousand milligrams of it and it really doesn't have that much of an effect on me it has more beneficial effects than hyping me up like coffee yeah, yeah you yeah. know whereas if i took 400 milligrams of caffeine in yeah. a pre-workout yeah. 
I'm literally bouncing off the walls. Like I'm not doing that yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like my body yeah. just can't yeah. handle it. And you know, the heart palpitations, everything. That's why I said when I took L-theanine, I didn't take a big dose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it That's just so interesting. I was so sluggish. It was almost like someone had given me Valium. Yeah, that's crazy. It's the best but way I could describe it. So what it does is it, is it blunts cortisol. So you actually need, you know, cortisol is not a bad hormone. It's, it's cortisol is a stress hormone. Yeah. It's not a bad hormone if it's elevated at the right time. So if it's elevated in the morning, it's elevated pre-workout, it's elevated um, when you're training. But if you blunt cortisol at a time when it's supposed to be elevated, then you're in trouble. So yeah, that's the worst day of my yeah, life. Yeah, it was exactly. horrible. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. It was absolutely horrible. You know, what? why don't you try it before bed and then see what it does? I, I'm staying away from it. I like ashwagandha. Yeah. Ashwagandha. I'll, I'm a big I'll, fan of that. I yeah. use ashwagandha. That's a, like a natural testosterone kind of booster as yeah. well, just because it helps, yeah, de-stress the... Ashwagandha, tribulus, horny goat weed, those are my go-tos for like to boost nice. up my testosterone. We'll talk. That's <laughs> 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 oh, hilarious. But yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Like different supplements work differently for different people. A lot of it has to do with their level of deficiencies. So I had... And I'll give an example. I had a client who didn't have enough of vitamin B6. Vitamin B6 is required to produce norepinephrine, which is a neurotransmitter that like, you know, similar to adrenaline. Like it is like, keeps you wired, um, makes you aggressive. Um, and he had... Doesn't that deal with like muscle contraction? So isn't that like pumping your blood, but then also just like strength-wise is norepinephrine? Is that the hormone that does with muscle contraction? I don't think it's related to muscle contraction, but I could be wrong. Okay. I think I know okay. what you're referring to though. Like it does, um, it, you right. know, it, um, it's the neurotransmitter that's related in your fight or flight response. So okay. it helps you break down glucose, like makes you alert, ready to go, ready to fight or flight. Yeah. And anyway, so he was deficient in, you know, he had low norepinephrine and he had low vitamin B6. And at one point he took a B vitamin in the evening and he ended up having a panic attack at about 2 a.m., most likely because he oh. was so deficient in it that he just used it in the pathway that he was so deficient in. Does that make sense? Um, and then that yeah. also applies to people who are so deficient in magnesium um, where their body is lacking magnesium in the energy production pathway and they take it at night and they're wired. They can't go to sleep. So you right. do react differently to doses depending on how deficient you are and where your deficiency is as well. And so going back, you said the urine testing was the best way to understand those pathways and where you're deficient? Yeah. I mean, that particular test was a urine test. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think yeah. with neurotransmitters, you're, uh, you're most accurate, but is a urine test. It looks at the byproducts mm-hmm. of these neurotransmitters and then right. sees if you have, if your serotonin is really low, if your epinephrine is too high, um, if there's a problem with the conversion. So yeah, I really like urine testing. Okay. That's yeah. good. We know you like urine testing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here, yeah, here's, awesome. here's, an, here's another question and you guys both can answer this, whether it's a myth or not. I love how I'm coming up with these questions. Yeah. I did a lot of reading today. Oh man, I'm so excited. <laughs> I, w- I wish I actually did work at work. <laughs> and I really hope my boss doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> because <laughs> is is the iron thing a myth? You know how a woman gets her period and you know I brought this iron. up. Yeah, she loses iron. I always say to hey, well, you know, you're probably low in iron. You know, eat some liver or eat some something with, that's higher in iron. Is that tr- is there any truth to that or is it if she has a heavy period, yes. Okay. If she has a heavy period, she is likely to be, not likely, but she's more prone to being anemic. And what are some of the foods that a woman can eat? Uh, Real quick, to, uh, for a heavy period, do you consider that like bleeding so heavily where it's like le- like less than two hours, you need to change, like, your, change, change out? your cortex? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or what's, yeah. do you have, like, how do you kind of determine what's heavy? Just so our listeners know, like, they're like, um, do I have a heavy period? Do I not? <laughs> Yeah, I think having to like, it's when someone tells me like, I have to regularly change. Yeah. What is it called? I mean, what is the actual term for the cotex? That's just a brand name. Sanitary napkin. Sanitary napkin. Thank you. This comes from the guy. This comes from the guy. All right. Good job, right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who's Um, been doing their research, ladies? (laughs) Clearly not me. (laughs) Hilarious. Um, Yeah. So like, yeah, if you have to regularly change it, um, you know, if you... If you go to sleep and you wake up and your bed is soaked, I guess there are so many different right. ways. How how, how do right. you ask your clients? Yeah. I just yeah, I just kind of like if you have to change your pad or your tampon like two hours or sooner, like that's yeah, that's, that's usually heavy. a sign of a heavy heavy bleeding. That's a little bit of a red flag. Yeah, um, I usually I usually actually just ask um, and then ask them to describe it because women, you may, I mean, you know if it's light, medium, or heavy, like you're aware if there's right. something a little bit abnormal because. 
what you get your period when you're 12, 13, and then you spend the next seven years talking about it with your friends until you realize it's a normal thing. So you kind of have an idea right. of whether or not it's right. light, medium or heavy. Um, so yeah, if yeah. she has a heavy period, more likely to have iron deficiency. Liver is a great source of iron. Animal protein is a great source of iron. Plant-based iron, which is non-heme iron, is not great because it just doesn't get absorbed that well or as well. And I find that, especially in the Middle East, in our culture, in Middle Eastern culture, you don't eat animal protein breakfast, lunch, and dinner uh, for three mm. meals a day. And you should, in my opinion. So if they're not getting in enough iron, I will usually supplement with a highly absorbable form of iron, which is okay. related. All right, cool. So there is some truth to <laughs> that. Makes, that, yeah. That makes sense. That, yeah. was my, that was my biggest question on periods. Maybe that's, yeah. <laughs> Coming from the person who's never had a period like in his life. <laughs> yeah. will probably will yeah. never have a period. And if I do have a period, there's something wrong. Okay, you know what? <laughs> Let me, I'm going to turn this around a little bit. From a guy's perspective, where does your interest lie in learning about improving PMS? Is it because you, you know, like you validated our feelings like as women, like, you know, we do get pain, we do get emotional mood things and stuff like that. How is it like for the other side of the equation? For me, it's Adi, like... You're just used to it. I'm just used to it. You know, I grew up in a household that was, you know, I lived most of my life in the States. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I kind of knew about periods. Yeah, yeah. I was grossed out until the age of, I don't know, about 22, 23. Yeah. And then when older. I got married, it was like, okay, you know, the first year it was because, I mean... The women in my family never had, you know, like stomach pain, cramps, any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I always thought, hey, it was full of it. I see. At okay, the beginning okay. of our marriage. Yeah. And slowly but surely, I started learning a little bit more about it. And every woman is, every woman is different. And it's yeah. not all in their head. And there is pain associated with it. There is hormonal changes. So I've kind of evolved <laughs> in terms of understanding a little bit more about it. And, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day. And... She goes out of her way to understand me. It's only right if I go out of my way to understand her and, um, you know, something that happens every month, you know, so that's, that's my perspective on it. I think in terms of Kuwaiti guys, there is a completely different view. Really? Enlighten me. Um, or enlighten us and the listeners. <laughs> a couple, couple guys I went to college with. Yeah. If there was a female that had their period, they'd be like, oh, gross, stay away from me. And okay, they okay. literally would not go in the room if they were in there. That's so weird. And that was, you know, that was a couple guys, not just, you know, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it's something that in our culture, we're not used to. It's so taboo to it talk about. It is so about. taboo. Women don't even talk about it. Like, it's, yeah. I, I've never heard well, period mentioned was, at my grandmother's house ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I will say in the women's facilities, in the women's gyms, when I first started in Kuwait, it was like you could be, <laughs> you know, at the front desk. And I felt like women were just extremely okay, open with just being like talking about their period or I'm on my period, so I can't do this day. Like they they were pretty good about that. But again, it was the the disconnect of of really what's happening at that time, right? And it's like, oh, I'll start my membership in two weeks because I'm supposed to get my period next week. Or, you know, oh, I need to hold my membership this month because I'm going to get my period, you know, and I don't know how it's going to affect me kind of thing. And it's like, and again, to them, it might have been like, I don't know their periods. It might've been very, very awful, but I felt like women were very forward with talking about their periods that time. But it was also the thing of like, oh, I'm going to take it easy today because I went and got a shot for my period because the pain was so bad kind of a thing, you know, and just stuff like that. I was like a shot for your period, like that kind of stuff. I never really understood or even wanting to skip the gym because again, I grew up as an athlete and it was just like, you had your period, you dealt with it, you go. And it's like, ladies, you deal like a third of your life really with this. Like, yeah. get a grip. You've got to be able to do your <laughs> yeah. normal activities. You know, I just didn't understand that kind of a mindset towards it, of like it being so debilitating. So yeah, I feel like exactly. they were okay with like talking about it, but it was just this very disconnected relationship with it. So that's where I felt it was. But like one of the cool things when I started working with clients one on one and talking about that and educating a little bit more on the cycle, like my first session with all of my female clients was we went through the cycle and we talked about like, okay, you're not tracking you're going to start tracking now so we can start to see what's going on with you. And, you know, there's several apps and things out there that do it. And what information are we going to collect from this? But that was the cool thing was like, you know, when it did happen, it's like they weren't canceling appointments. They genuinely feel like they didn't want to come in that day. It's like, well, maybe we're not going to do what we had planned, but we'll find something to do. Mm -hmm. And so changing that relationship with it. And that just kind of, it improved my relationship with my own cycle. Because like I said, for years, I had struggled with it as well. Like I I was on birth control, got on birth control in high school to help with acne was the reason, right? The doctors, you know, say it can help with that. And then 
I found out you can skip your period, you know, with the pill. And so it was like, anytime I had a swim meet or something come up, it's like, That's I would skip crazy. it. And then, wow. right. And then with training, like heavy in college, I mean, we were training 30 hours a week. It's like, I, my body fat percentage was so low that then I was just like missing my period. And mm. I thought that was awesome, yeah. you know, cause it's like, <laughs> I don't have to deal with it, but you don't understand like all these other effects that that's having on you. And I didn't connect the dots on a lot of things that it's like, Oh, that was probably why. Yeah. And so it just took many, many years of me kind of messing with my hormones like that, you know, and then dieting as well, like, you know, major hormone imbalances we talked about before, like when I did the keto venture and stuff like that, that just kind of <laughs> gave me some more insight on, on the cycle. And so I think it's just, it's just that detached relationship of people not understanding of where those things always link up. It's not just that you're, not, oh, I'm not pregnant this month. I got my period. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, that just this inconvenience that happens, there's so much more information that comes from it. And, and food is a big part and how you can, can try to balance those things out again. So gut health, I think plays along with the hormone stuff really well. Yeah. I think mostly from a result of increased inflammation because high elevated levels of CRP, which is an inflammatory marker have been associated with PMS. I have some statistics here that I wanted to point out, especially just because while you guys were talking, I was wondering about why is it that in the Middle East, people do feel like their periods are completely debilitating. And yeah. I, I was thinking about nutrition and I definitely think like our diet is pretty terrible. Like it's gotten a lot better over the last five years, but there was like no nutrition education, education earlier. And so they've looked at, there have been studies that looked at um, the nutritional habits of women with PMS or who experience PMS versus nutritional habits of women who don't experience PMS. And this is what they come up with. Women with PMS ate 60% more carbs than women without PMS. Women who experienced PMS ate 275% more sugar than women who did not experience PMS. And women with PM, who experienced PMS had 80% or ate 80% more dairy than women who did not experience PMS. So refined carbs, high sugar intake, high dairy intake, and then 50 to 80% of them consumed less nutrients, so less magnesium, less vitamin, uh, less B vitamins, less zinc. You know, like it could actually just come back to an underlying cause, which is that maybe a lot of people are just not that healthy because our yeah. diet centers around dairy. Like you wake up in the morning, you have toast and cheese. Like you want to lose weight, you eat very light dinner, which is, I mean, for women, I don't know about men, but I'm telling you what my clients tell me. They have, you know, a cheese sandwich or frozen yogurts because it's low calorie or whatever. We've had this conversation, I think. Yeah. I'm just thinking in my head that I love my wife because she's like, let's get elevation. I'm like, yes. (laughs) She's like, let's have burgers tonight or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She switched Monday night. That's our fish night. So it's kind of cool. Oh, that's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So improving dietary habits can reduce not just how you feel, but also the the, you know, the social changes that you make or the changes that you make to your diary as a result of the time of the month. So what are some of the biggest takeaways we could give young female athletes or even middle-aged female athletes that just don't know because it's never really talked about here? And okay. I think this is probably one of the first episodes ever in Kuwait's history. Where people history, are talking about where periods. people are talking about periods, PMS, <laughs> yeah. and like what to eat, what not to yeah. eat. And a, and a guy's um, jumping in on the conversation yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. I yeah. truly think yeah. this is an awesome episode yeah. just because it's yeah. not talked about. Yeah. And it yeah. shouldn't be taboo. It should it definitely be not taboo. be taboo. No. And guys need to accept it. I definitely agree with you. Um, oh my God. Yeah. And it's not, honestly, it's not just like... Arab or Middle Eastern men. Like the time I posted something about my period, this Western guy was like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said something about your period. I was like, he's, he was 31 years old. I'm like, yeah. why? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, less stigma about the periods. Um, okay, biggest takeaways. I'm going to list mine and then Meg can list hers. Maybe you can list yours. Definitely, okay? I can definitely um, list them. <laughs> okay, for me, like from my background, I would say test, don't guess. Try to figure out where, where the root of the problem is. If you do have a hormonal imbalance, you should treat it. It's not just about living a healthy lifestyle and hoping it goes away. If you do experience PMS, it could be because of the fact that you're pretty much hangry or you have low blood sugar. So you experience symptoms of low blood sugar. So dizziness, fatigue, irritability, sugar cravings. You should limit your sugar intake because sugar increases insulin and insulin increases water retention, which a lot of women don't like because they... They're like, well, I gained like a few kilos before my period. I would also say this is not something we discussed, but symptoms of PMS can also coincide with symptoms of hypothyroidism. So don't just look at what 
seems to be the obvious, like, you know, go to someone who has like a functional or maybe even a conventional background to just look at um, your hormones, improve your diet. Like a lot of things go back to diet and exercise. It's not that sexy, but if you eat well and you train well, a lot of your symptoms will resolve. It's been shown time and time again in studies. And I would say assess, assess possible nutrient deficiencies. We, we, we didn't go that much into it, but there are certain things that are important like magnesium, B vitamins, fish oils, healthy fatty acids. A lot of those deficiencies can contribute to increased inflammation, increased pain and more cramping and headaches. So yeah, this is my take coming from functional nutritionist. What was yeah. What were your takeaways, Meg? I think the biggest thing that I would say as a takeaway is just observe and track. That's where you just have to start. I think you have to just start observing what's going on, start tracking your cycle, start tracking the symptoms that you get, try to look for, you know, some patterns within that, but observe and track, give yourself some time to pick up on maybe what you feel is a red flag. What are these things that you're, you know, comfortable with, not comfortable with, and then communicate is the biggest thing. Like don't isolate yourself. So communicate that to your doctor, communicate that to a nutritionist, communicate that to, you know, even your girlfriends and, you know, like start talking about a little bit more because you're otherwise we start to feel like some of these problems are our own, you know, thing and that nobody else deals with it and that it's, you know, abnormal or something. And then we start to kind of freak out about that. And so it's just, I think, observe and track, understand what's going on first, and then start to communicate that with health professionals, with, with other women and... Your partners even. Right, right, right. And then, yeah, that'll lead to exactly what you're saying, you know, like testing and then, then you're not guessing, right? Because you actually have the information there. You have it tracked. And that's a, a lot more helpful for someone, you know, like in your position who gets a client, right? Then you can, yeah. they can come to you with that information and, mm -hmm. and you can get to work on, on possible solutions and fixing it. But mm -hmm. I think yeah, observing and tracking and just don't be afraid to talk about it. I would definitely say to the females out there is educate your husbands, educate them on understanding it, sync up their phones. Like I know when my oh. wife's cycle is going to be like, I told her yesterday, I was like, Hey, you're going to have your period in a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because I, awesome. I have it marked down on my calendar because as a guy, you I'll go need buy to chocolate today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of these apps are like so advanced that they will tell you like, you're going to cramp today. You're going to have a headache oh, wow. today. You're going to have, you know, like an oily scalp. So make sure you shower. Like, See, um, mine's, just, mine's just like, okay, periods approaching. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I'm um, going to create a guy app. It's going to be like periods approaching with like alarms going off. Like, you know, that will get guys' attention. Yeah. But I mean, besides that, I, I think, and you guys touched on is know what you're putting in your body. And right. I, I, you know, I talked about this before the show started about sanitary napkins, Kotex, mm -hmm. as it's widely known, and tampons and all the chemicals that they have. Mm -hmm. And your body absorbs that also. It does. Versus the Diva Cup. And yeah. I can't believe mm -hmm. I'm introducing the Diva Cup on this show yeah. to the females. Yeah. I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Go keep it, keep talking. Yeah, because I mean, the Diva Cup, it's essentially like a little cup made of silicone, and mm -hmm. you can get it biodegradable, and yeah. you know, it's it's completely environmentally friendly, good for your body, and that's something that's reusable and it's clean. It's not you know yeah. sticking something on your body that has all these chemicals. Bleach, I didn't know bleach was in on yeah, on, on tampons. Like mm -hmm. like, yeah. why are they? There are no health regulations yeah. to tampons. There yep. should be. Right. I know. That's and, something that's right. going into your body. Yeah, and it's truly it's being right. absorbed into your blood. <laughs> that is insane. Especially because a lot of these things are actually endocrine hormone disruptors, which is really ironic because you're using it at a time when you're like quite hormonal. Yeah, I, I think I got to stop <laughs> I gotta talking. Diva Cup is, no, oh, yes, is something yes. I advocate for big time. And that's, if you are someone who feels very disconnected, I think from your cycle too, it's a great way to actually become a little bit more connected to that from a female perspective. Like at first, like when the diva cup, when I first heard about it, I'm like, Oh my God, that sounds awful. There is no way. And then I've switched to it and I've used it and it is hundred percent. One of the best ways to really just become more in tune with observing and tracking and understanding what's going on. It is way better. Um, you know, it's like, I think it's cleaner and it's way easier of just not having to deal with that like if you want to go out for a day, if you want to go out for a weekend or something, it's like a lot easier to deal with your period using the Diva Cup than it is to be switching out pads and tampons and and that kind of stuff. So I think and then just never mind the chemical stress that you're talking about. I'm, I'm yeah. a huge fan of of switching to that and using that. 
Now, do you have to yeah. worry about what's that toxic shock syndrome? Do you have to worry about that? If with you use tampons, it? you do. But with Diva Cups, do you have to worry? Look at me. All right, come on. Seriously, can the guy yeah. get some props here? I'm really, I'm really stuff? impressed. Like, I'm really seriously. impressed. You're getting a high five. All right, from thank me. you. <laughs> like, I mean, can, can a woman get toxic uh, shock syndrome from using the Diva Cup? Or is that just something related to tampons? I would say that's something related to tampons. But I will also yeah. definitely say it's not a good idea to keep blood that's supposed to come out of your system in there for a prolonged period of time. You know what I mean? I'm asking the question. You know, like I don't... Um, I think the toxic shock syndrome with tampons is that it's a higher risk of that because of the cotton and the chemicals and things that can be left inside of you. And it can also cause salmonella. Yeah, yeah. 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 Can cause what? It's absolutely insane. Salmonella. Salmonella? Like a salmonella type virus. How can you get salmonella from a tampon? From a tampon. Are they, are they, like, is is there chicken feed in there too? If it's not clean, like... Usually that comes through like, I don't know, we can get into it, like fecal matter. <laughs> that kind oh. of stuff. Like if you're not clean and oh, not okay. wiping properly and things like that, that can be a, a concern with it. So that can be a reason why. But with the cup, I mean, yeah, you just wash that with, you know, soap and water. You can you can even boil them to disinfect yeah, them. I've, I've you have, hay, to, hay you have to take hers. care of those. <laughs> there is a hygiene process with those, but far less risky than than tampons and pads for sure. And also for the single women out there who have never been married in the Middle East where you can't just insert something. There are reusable pennies. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Like good to know. Yeah. That is really good to know. Yeah. I think there are there is a maybe we can tag it in the show notes. I know there are some companies I think out there that do kind of like an all natural They do, they do. I don't yeah, type of product. Yeah, but, do you want to research um, that one, Meg? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Um Lua, I was gonna ask you for tracking um an app do, what app do you like Clue. use for tracking? Clue. Clue, that's what I use yeah, as well. I love yeah. it. It's a great one. All right. Ooh. Well I I mean that this has been a great episode. Yeah, thank I'm glad you, you enjoyed Lula. it. I mean, thank you, Meg, Meg and Maddie. Like yeah. this was thank you guys. this was a fun episode and I think it was very educational for both men and women. Awesome. Well, I mean, honestly, you made it really fun because it could have, if it was just me and Meg, it could have gotten really technical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We started off that way. I know. Yeah. Hey, that's my job. That's my job to try and break it down for the average people. Right. <laughs> you know, that's... Yeah. But that was it, great. Thanks. That was great. Was, I'm glad to put the topic out there. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at the Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.